Welcome to Drupal Easy Podcast, episode 207. My name is Mike Anello, and joining me today is an old friend in the Drupal community, David Needham. David, how are you? Hey, Mike. I'm good. How are you? Not too bad today. Um, so, and there's my first um of the podcast. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, I have like a, I should have a change jar on my desk for every time I say that word. And That might you know, help. I could buy a new car, I think, by the end of the year. So I'm going to try to avoid that word again. But let's get to... Um, ah, <laughs> <laughs> David, you... Yeah, I know. It's very difficult. You are uh, a new... Um, I don't want to say new, but you have a new title of Developer Advocate with Pantheon. Yes, that's right. So we'll talk about that in a minute because it sounds like there was... I don't know if it was a reorg or just kind of a renaming you know, maybe redistributing of the duties. We can talk about that and, you know, how that might affect uh, Pantheon customers uh, in the future. But today, you know, we're basically going to touch base with David. We're going to talk about, you know, what he does at Pantheon, um, some of the training opportunities uh, that that Pantheon offers and and stuff like that. Just kind of, you know, touch base with David and, and, and see what's going on in his neck of the woods. Yeah, thanks, Mike. I'm excited to be here. All right, very good. So let's start with, you know, this new team name. It used to be, you know, agency and community. And I, th- I forget what your title, I already deleted it from the rundown. What was your previous title? Or I guess your current title for another couple of days, right? Right. So as of the recording, this should all be switched over. Or as the, the publishing, this should all be switched over. But my, my title was agency and community training manager, which is kind of a mouthful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I think part part of the problem that we were experiencing is we we consistently had to explain exactly what agency and community meant to people. We'd have to say like, oh, well, you know, there's the agency piece where we train agencies and help them be successful on Pantheon. And there's a community piece where we go to camps and conferences and speak and offer trainings and just kind of be, you know, present in the community and contribute to the community. And um, so it was kind of a... Uh, a blunt uh, title and and uh, team name before, uh, but yeah, we've we've recently rebranded our team, uh, renamed our team to Developer Relations, which is a little bit more of an industry standard for the sort of work that we do. Uh, we kind of we we spend a lot of time really brainstorming what our mission should be as a team, and we came up with to to attract, educate, and inspire developers by advocating for better development practices with Pantheon. And essentially, our, our job hasn't changed. Our, the, the things that we did before, we're still doing. But now we have titles. Uh, developer advocates are titles that are more common in the community, or at least in the, in the wider tech community. And I, I think it speaks a little bit more specifically to this, our mission, to, to what we're trying to do. It helps, it helps our team really focus on what we should be doing with our time. Yeah, I really like the word uh, advocate. Yeah, because that's very descriptive. I mean, that's basically saying that you are there to help developers and to be the voice of the developers within your company. So that if developers are having, you know, an issue with one particular workflow, then it's your job to either help them through that or to go back to the rest of the team and say, hey, we need to kind of smooth this out. Right, exactly. And you, you touched exactly on another benefit of this uh, rebranding is specifically highlighting our advocacy within Pantheon for the customers. 
because uh, you know we are the people that go to conferences, and you know we're not alone. But it is it is part of our job to be their voice, to kind of advocate for them, and make sure that the things that are important to them are heard and represented appropriately. So when people see you at Drupal events, and you go to a lot of well, Drupal events and non-Drupal events, um, are you usually training or are you there just to talk to clients and potential clients? What's your role when people see you either at the booth or, or at a Drupal event? Yeah, it, it really depends quite a bit on the event. As you mentioned, we go to a lot of Drupal events. We also go to a lot of WordPress events and some other tech events that are related to you know neither CMS specifically. I think the what we're there to do depends a little bit on the conference and the audience and uh, exactly what we've been asked to do by the organizers. Uh, there, there are some cases where we are speaking and you know presenting uh, on a topic. There are other cases where we're leading a training workshop. Other cases where we've been asked to help organize or lead sprints or do something else as part of the the actual organizing team. Uh, and, and then sometimes we're just sponsors and we show up and we sit at the booth and we try to answer questions and help people learn about what Pantheon is and what we stand for. All right, very good. Let's move on a little bit. I want to talk about you added this to the rundown, and it, you know it's, it's especially relevant to me, and hopefully some other folks. But there's a Pantheon for Trainers program, I guess is the right word. Yeah. So Pantheon for Trainers is really trying to solve a problem that I've personally seen and experienced for for a long time, and that's you know when you try to set up a local environment for a training, or when you try to even uh, even if it's not a local environment, when you try to set up any environment for a training and get everyone up to speed and ready to go, that often really puts a drag on the training. You know, at the very beginning of the day, when you first start a training workshop in person, or if it's even if it's remote, you spend a lot of time making sure that everyone can access the tools that they need to use, making sure that they have Drupal or WordPress installed, and you know can access it and edit the code and, and all that stuff, and. Uh, so several years ago, I worked for Chapter 3 as a uh, kind of doing training there as well. And it, it was a real pain. We, we basically had to rely on our DevOps guy uh, who helped set up all the environments, who got everything going, made sure we had you know SFTB credentials and uh, all the, the site names and logins and all, all that stuff set up. And it was a real pain. We, we had to you know, bother him for hours you know, before an event to make sure it worked. Uh, he had to be on call during the event to make sure that it, it continued working. We actually had to allocate more resources to make sure, you know, like the, I think we were using Linode or something at the time. Uh, we had to kind of you know, add extra nodes to make sure it didn't uh, fall over when that many more people logged in. And then at the end of the day, uh, maybe it worked, but we still had a, a lot of pain to deal with. And then we had to spin down things. It was just a lot of extra work. Uh, and my colleague, uh, Tessa Creasel, was telling me she, she used to work for, or still volunteers with uh, Girl Develop It, and she often does a lot of WordPress uh, training. And her process was very similar, where she just had a, I think, shared hosting account somewhere. She would add accounts for all of her students, uh, give them SFTP access, and on more than one occasion, when people logged in, her account would become auto-blocked by the hosting provider because, uh, you know, suspicious activity, lots of people are logging in. Uh, and that's just not a good situation to be in. So I, I advocated within Pantheon, uh, suggesting that we do we participate in Drupal Global Training Days and created a getting started with Drupal 8 curriculum and kind of get everything going. And beyond my greatest expectations, we had 200 people 
show up. We, we had uh, 800 people actually register for the class. 200 people show up. Uh, the vast majority of them stayed around for the full three and a half, four hours. And it worked. Uh, of course, we, we used Pantheon. Uh, we, we had people sign up uh, and, and spin up Drupal 8 accounts, or uh, spin up Drupal 8 sites for the training. And it worked. You know, we, we had a couple of people on chat support to provide uh, well, chat support to, to answer questions. And it just worked. Uh, it, it was fluid and easy. Was there special sauce for this? Was it the same as if like someone listening just went to Pantheon right now, created an account and spun up a fresh Drupal 8 site? Or was there something special about these sites? There is nothing special about these sites. The, the only thing that was, that was a little bit different is that we, we gave a link that went straight to the Drupal 8 upstream. So, so someone who already had a Pantheon account would just log in and then they're right there on the let's install Drupal 8. Uh, if they didn't have a if they didn't have a Pantheon account, then they would be asked to create one, and then they're still right there on the Drupal eight setup page. And then what you did in the in the during the training that was all on Pantheon environments and not locally. Right. That was it. Was entirely on Pantheon environments, and we didn't we didn't need to do anything locally. I mean, it was a it was an introductory Drupal eight course, so we, we didn't need to do any module development or anything like that. Uh, and and I was just amazed how easily it worked. You know, we we didn't have anyone say that it didn't work for them, which I've I've never had doing much smaller classes in the past. Yeah, that's a that's a, a I don't want to say a specific type of training because that's not fair, but that is one type of Drupal training where you are teaching just what's in the user interface. And I think you'll agree that the challenges start mounting up pretty quickly. And, you know, everybody was online. It was a webinar. So you didn't really have to worry about internet access for everybody and where the situation could have been different if you were at a DrupalCon with 200 people in a room and other rooms full of trainees, everyone trying to use the internet. Um, so being a webinar and being the fact that it was all on Pantheon servers um, eliminated some of the, not, I guess, the usual issues or, or the, the commonly seen issues that you see in, in, in large group trainings. Um, obviously, for me, and I, I'm sure you've run into the exact same ones, when you're doing a training that where it's in person and everybody's on the Wi-Fi at the same time, that it can obviously be a big issue. And then if when you're teaching either, like you said, module development or something involving code or... Uh, something I, I believe we both teach developer workflows where you are using Git to pull something down, make a change, push it up, you know, merge it in with someone else's, you know, branch and stuff like that. Where once you get a local development environment involved, things become even more complex. Yep. And, and that's something I know that you would like to talk a little bit about later on today as, uh, you know, specifically local environments and, uh, you know, a little bit about like on server development versus local development, how how those work, especially when it comes to training. Yeah, I actually find the times that I am teaching things just through the UI are, those tend to be le much less stressful for me. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. Yeah, because you can, you can tell folks, you know, either be ready to go with a local fresh install of Drupal 8 or go to Pantheon and spin up a new one. It doesn't matter if it's local or there. Just have Drupal 8 ready to go. And once you take like the command line and Git and pushing and pulling and code out of it, um, it becomes 
a, a much smoother experience. And yeah, I will talk about local development environments with anybody anytime. So you and I will definitely be talking about them. You know, to touch on the, the point of like on-server versus local, I mean, certainly I think, you know, using Git is important. Like people should know how to use Git. But I think if the training is not something that would require a local environment, like, hey, you're at a conference with hundreds of other people or thousands of other people where internet might be an issue, or you're doing uh, coding that involves a build step of some sort, you know, compiling your SAS or, or something like that, then certainly using SFTP mode in Pantheon to connect it directly to your code and change it there um, is, is great. I think SFTP often carries a little bit of a stigma or a uh, maybe an assumption that the person doesn't know enough about code to to do it the right way. Like I, I guess maybe that's the thing that the SFTP carries a sort of stigma that it's not the right way to do code. Uh, but the way that Pantheon is using SFTP, the whole process is still backed by Git. So someone who's logging in by SFTP, once they've made code changes, they still have the opportunity to leave a commit message in the the Pantheon interface, and they still have then all the benefits of you know, version control and being able to see who did what and having their changes, you know, broken out into distinct commit messages, which uh, I think makes a big difference. But when it comes to doing training, if, again, if you're not doing a build step or if you don't have a, a need for local, certainly doing it directly on uh, on Pantheon with SFTP mode means that you can just connect. Like all you have to rely on at that point is, uh, you know, making sure that the person locally has some sort of a code editor and SFTP program and you don't have to worry about any of the other pieces that often go along with a, a local install. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, um, it, that, that's a really good point. And I've often thought about, and maybe you've, you've taught this, I've taught it not as like an official part of any curriculum, but kind of a, you know, a, a, just an example of, of doing this, you know, on server development using SFTP mode. I'm just curious, are you, do you know of developers who like that's the way they code is they just code using SFTP mode? Cause I can envision and I've never actually done it with more than, you know, one or two people and, and done it on a, on a real project, but I can envision where you set up multi-dev environments for individuals those go into SFTP mode and you use an editor that, you know, maybe you don't, maybe your editor has built in SFTP. So when you open a file, it opens it directly in your editor. You, you know, you hit command S and it saves it through SFTP back up there. Um, I'm just wondering, have you seen that in the wild as, you know, for like from the standpoint of a professional developer, like that's the way they work and just they forego their local development environment completely? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so uh, at, at Pantheon, we train dozens of developers each week in our, our various uh, essential developer tools training uh, and uh, getting started with Drupal, or I'm sorry, getting started with Pantheon training and uh, other sort of uh, standalone trainings as well. And and this comes up from time to time. It, it, it's probably not as common as Git. Uh, and, and I think part of that does have to do with the this, this stigma that's often carried with, with SFTP mode. But we, we do advocate for that as well. I mean, I'm overusing the word now, but uh, I would say this was true even before. We actually had, I did a couch coding a while back with uh, Matt Cheney of Pantheon. And we, we talked about the various ways to use SFTP mode to do professional development. And, and you, you touched on it a little bit there where you said, you know, if you have multi-dev set up for each developer, 
it's much easier. Like it, it makes the process even easier to use F SFTP mode and you're able to connect directly. And um, with, with the app that I have, I mean, I have, you know, Cyberduck for SFTP uh, and Sublime Text or Atom or whatever you want for, for code editing. It, it's already set up that way. You just, you know, click on the file, click edit. It opens my code editor. I make a change. I click save and it does automatically re-upload that. Uh, you can also extend it a little bit by using a uh, like a local mount. Um, there's like uh, Mountain Duck for for CyberDuck, and I, I think there's another one for Transmit uh, that that has like the option to mount a drive, a local drive on your computer that is an SFTP connection to a server. And if you do that, you can actually even use the build step where where you have an entire process locally that gets built and then automatically uploaded because. Your your local your local apps just think it's a local file. It doesn't even realize that it's a a connection. Yeah, so that'd be good for if you're doing theme development and using, you know, uh, you know, when I teach theme development, I usually teach using Scout, which is a SAS uh, processor. Um, that would be a way of you know writing SAS, having it compile to CSS, seemingly locally, but actually using the mount and automatically going up to SFT uh, through the SFTP connection up to Pantheon. Right. Right. And, and so I, I haven't had a training yet. Like I, I don't do as many of the trainings that are that are the let's do theming, let's do module development. But uh, in the trainings that we do do <laughs> that often have to do with other other processes uh, and, and often specific to Pantheon, uh, it, it, it is easier to not have to worry about like what apps do they have installed locally. Yeah. So the the getting started with Drupal worked really well for me and it would work well for for anyone. Uh, but something we've discovered is you kind of have to know a little bit about Pantheon in order to really use Pantheon for training well. You, you have to, as a trainer, know how to set up an environment and feel comfortable enough with Pantheon that you can you know, recommend it to your, your students. Uh, one thing that we've been trying to do to help make that whole process easier for trainers and specifically trainers that maybe don't know how to you know, create sites on Pantheon yet is uh, we're, we're working on a Terminus plugin uh, that, that will probably eventually be a web form uh, or, or actual functionality in the, the Pantheon dashboard uh, that will give anyone the opportunity to build a site, basically, you know, to build out your Drupal site, uh, include example content, include custom code, include plugins, you know, whatever you want, uh, and then enter that site uh, and clone it, uh, mul you know, multiply it times however many student sites you need, and even do something like upload a CSV of student emails, for example. And then all you have to do is, you know, build your site, enter your site in the in the web form or button or whatever it is, uh, enter the CSV of student emails, and then all the students then get emailed um, as the site's created, as they get invited to that site, uh, and they have that dedicated site ready to go on day one or, or whenever it happens. Uh, and the benefit here I'm hoping is that you, you don't have to spend as much prep time getting everything ready and making sure it's, uh, you know, all the sites are set up by hand, which can sometimes take a lot of time, depending on how many students you have. Um, and then also it would give us the ability down the road to uh, let, let, I would give you the ability to let trainers uh, catch people up as well. So, so being able to say, uh, you know, someone starts the class late, or they fall behind and you know didn't follow along with the code examples or something, uh, you would be able to do something like overwrite their site with the site that you've, you've been working on during class. So within a, you know, a simple command or hopefully eventually you know, a, a little button click, you could 
uh, you know, from your, your list of student sites, just quickly overwrite the site and catch them up to speed and it was with one quick little thing. So hopefully this will make it a lot easier for trainers to, to really use the tools that we have. I love everything you just said. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. So let me ask you another question. And this is something I, without going into the Pantheon UI, I don't know the answer to, and I'm hoping you know it off the top of your head. If you are on one Pantheon multi-dev, can you pull in changes from another multi-dev using the UI, or is that something you'd have to do in Git locally? Yeah, that's something you would have to do in Git locally. Uh, a, a, a Pantheon multi-dev is, uh, I'm sorry, a Pantheon multi-dev is just a Git branch. So if you are familiar with Git, you can uh, clone it locally, pull down the branches, and then merge it, you know, kind of by hand, and then push it back up, and then that would be how you would do that. Of course, if, if you've merged it into uh, master, into dev, then you could then pull it in that way. But if you're not ready to merge it into master, then yeah, you have to do it by hand. Right. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Okay. So we uh, let's take a second here. Um, that was great discussion, uh, I think. At least your half of it was great. I don't know. Well, I guess I'll hear later about how my half was. Uh, but let's let me read um, a quick ad here from our friends at My Drop Wizard. And as I was thinking about this ad this morning, because I, I go over the rundown before the podcast and think about how I can talk about the ad, and I was, I actually spent a good part of my morning applying some you know module updates to one of the larger client sites that I that I help maintain. I, there was a Drupal security release a couple of days ago that I pushed up you know the same day, but I noticed that there are a lot of modules that were you know, yellow instead of red. So they had updates, but nothing pressing. So I said, you know what, I'm going to take some time this morning to see what I can do to get all those updated. And it's kind of tedious. It's kind of like low pressure work. It's just, you know, reading the release notes, making sure you're, you know, everything's cool. You're not going to break anything, doing all that stuff. And I was thinking to myself, as I was reading the rundown, there's probably a lot of people who are just tired of doing that. Tired of, you know, somewhat tedious site maintenance and the fine folks at my drop wizard uh, they exist for you to outsource that type of work to them they provide drupal 6 7 and 8 uh, basic maintenance plans they keep your modules up to date security releases they get um, pushed out to your live site the same day monthly fees start at less than 100 bucks a month so if you're hiring developers at 100 dollars an hour for 100 bucks a month, that seems like a pretty good deal to me. Uh, every plan includes a site audit. So when you engage with my Drop Wizard, they'll you know give your site a once-over, let you know if there's any potential problems. 24-hour response time if you have a question about your site or if there's an issue with your site. Um, they'll guarantee to respond in, in 24 hours. Uh, here's a crazy one, complimentary hosting. So I believe they're hosting, and David, you probably know the answer to this, I believe... Their complimentary hosting is on Pantheon. Is that correct? Last I heard, yes, it's on Pantheon. Okay, last I heard as well. Um, so that, that's a pretty amazing deal. I, I assume that there are probably limits. I don't think that they're going to, you know, a lot, that they're going to be cool with, you know, some gargantuan site paying 99 bucks a month being hosted on a Pantheon Enterprise plan. I think there's probably a, a size limit or bandwidth limit there. But for a lot of sites, the complimentary hosting is a huge boon. And, of course, a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you engage with them and you don't like what they're doing or, they're, or you just 
you want to be able to do that stuff yourself, no, you get your money back after 30 days. So it's it's win-win, um, free up some time, allow you to, you know, it will allow you to focus on kind of the more interesting aspects of uh, Drupal uh, uh, site building and development. You're going to want to check them out at mydropwizard.com. That's mydropwizard.com. No dashes, no underscores, mydropwizard.com all together. Mydropwizard.com. There you go. Thank you. I'm glad I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're, you're with me. <laughs> and the guy that, that um, behind this, uh, David Snowpeck. Yeah, David Snowpeck. He's a great guy. Great guy. He's one of the Panoply maintainers. I mean, just he's a he's a big Drupal brain, and so you know that it's it's going to be a a good a good product. So I want to ask you about trends that you're seeing, David. And I'm not looking for hard data. I'm looking for more like anecdotal data because I know that you talk to as a developer advocate. Your your brand new title. You talk to a lot of Drupal developers. So I'm curious, and I think I know the answer, but I just kind of want confirmation. I would guess that the vast majority of developers that you talk to now are using Drupal 8 and, and starting fresh sites on Drupal 8 only. I believe that's true. But but like you said, I, I, I speak to a lot of agencies and a lot of the agencies that I end up seeing in training are either doing Drupal 8 and they've been doing it for a while or they're still doing Drupal 7, but they know they should be doing Drupal 8. And so part of what they need help with is you know, how do you use Composer and how, how do you use Composer with Pantheon so that we can start using Drupal 8? Right. Which that kind of leads into the next uh, question I have is with Drupal 8, with using Composer as kind of a best practice and the, the Composer template that hopefully we all know about that's out there on GitHub. Um, and that Composer template is kind of set up by default to not have the dependencies as part of the repo which if your dependencies aren't part of the repo and you try and push that repo up to Pantheon, your site's obviously not going to run because there's no dependencies there. And right. you know, it's not going to be cool. So there needs to be a build step in there at some point. There needs to be at some point something, doing a composer install, getting all those dependencies and then pushing that whole ball of wax up to Pantheon. So my question is, um, I know that for a lot of my clients, and I would say medium size. I don't have any gargantuan clients, but medium-sized clients where, you know, it's maybe me and one or two other developers initially developing the site, and then me or one of my my contractors, you know, doing the site maintenance. We are actually committing all of the dependencies and you know pushing it directly up to Pantheon that way. But I'm curious to know: Are there more and more people, kind of not? committing those dependencies and, and setting up something with Circle CI or, or somewhere else to um, as a place to run that build step and maybe run some automated tests before it being pushed to Pantheon? Like how prevalent is continuous integration um, these days that, that you see and that you hear about? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I, I don't hear a lot of people coming into training saying that they're already doing continuous integration. But there's a lot of people saying that we want to start doing this and asking for help kind of integrating it. So we, we have our command line interface, Terminus, that uh, has plugins. And there's a build tools plugin that you can get for that. And with that plugin, you just install it and then you run a command and it automatically you know connects to this, uh, the, the, the composer you know for Drupal 8 um, repository 
pulls in your site. It kind of uses a, a bare repository in GitHub and sets up that that site for you. And then it moves into CircleCI and creates that and sets it up for you. And then it moves into Pantheon and creates the site. And it kind of connects all these pieces together so that when you hit, you know, the when when you actually make a commit against that repository, it automatically goes into CircleCI, it builds out everything, it compiles the code for you, it runs the tests, and then pushes it over to a Pantheon multi-dev. And even when you do a pull request, it, it will then do that um, that same process. It'll build it out, push it out to a, a multi-dev, and then actually post right there in the pull request you know, the link to kind of show you if it passed or not or if it, if it worked, uh, along with a link to the multi-dev. So you can actually see it and, and make sure that it, it looks good. So this this process obviously takes a little bit of time, uh, not not so much to set up. I mean, you, you run the script and everything gets set up, but every time that you make a commit to have to go through this step, uh, it takes a l- little bit of extra time. But the payoff really ends up coming when you're working on a, a large team that needs to standardize their process or that needs to make sure that every everyone is. Uh, I guess it's the same as standardizing the process, but to make sure that everyone's doing the same thing the same way every single time. At that point, it makes it makes sense to go through this extra Circle CI uh, kind of code review process. Um, but but otherwise, you know, the process you described, where you just you know kind of do the composer install locally and push the whole thing up to Pantheon, that's totally valid too. There, there's nothing wrong with that, and especially if it's just you or just you and a couple other people, uh, or even if you're the only person that's really responsible for the site and there's you know, other people on the team, but it's really you that are uh, that's making the changes. Then there's nothing. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I found that I have had clients ask me about it, and I will demo exactly what you're talking about the the, derm, the, the terminus build tool, and, and we'll watch the whole process and see it go up to to GitHub, see the Circle CI stuff kick off, and see where we can add behat tests and, and, and things like that. Um, where I have seen clients kind of I don't want to say pushback, but kind of say, mm, maybe we're not ready for that, is it seems to me that you really need to have someone dedicated to overseeing that process and maintaining that process. Because there's some new, you know, if you're used to just committing to, you know, the Pantheon repo and pushing and being good to go, that's one thing. But now you've got two repositories that are interacting. You know, you've got a, a GitHub one with... Um, that's kind of your, your your skinny repository without dependencies, and you're, you got your Pantheon repository that that's kind of the fat one with the dependencies. And sitting in between, now you've got Circle CI, and and you've you've got that interface to worry about, or not worry about, but to maintain. And all of that that's that adds overhead, and you you need to have someone. I believe you need to have someone on the team with somewhat of an expertise in managing and maintaining that. And like you said, the payoff is huge. The payoff is really big because it standardizes the team on a process. You can actually use GitHub for pull requests. And the, the term is, you didn't really mention it, but I'm going to you know, mention it because I think it's really cool. The Terminus build plugin is actually sets up everything you need to run Bahat tests as well. So you can just start dropping Bahat tests in there to test things on every commit, which is, which is huge. That's a, that's, a, that's a big deal. Um, but I think that there needs to be someone who is responsible and takes ownership of that process on the development team. Otherwise, I fear that it's almost too much. It's too much complexity. Yeah, I, I think I agree with you. I, the, the area that we've seen the most success with this has been 
yeah, you, you have a team of three or five or more and a senior developer that does a code review. The, the benefit with working on a team like this is, yeah, you go through the standard process, but then the senior developer doesn't have to review every single line of code line by line and make sure it's all done. You know, they, they have everything at their fingertips to say, okay, B hat tests passed. Uh, here's the multi-dev. I can click through and make sure it works. Uh, I, I can review the commits and, and see them if I, if I you know, like need to compare something or you know, give an opinion. But I know that my, my code review, my automated code reviews have already happened and those passed. And so they can say, okay, with, with a you know, great degree of confidence, I can go ahead and commit this, you know, merge it into the master branch and, and trust that it's working the way I expect it to. But, but yeah, if, if you're just a, a person doing this by yourself, it adds a lot of overhead or a lot of extra work and time between each commit that, that can be painful. That being said, it's really cool. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. So let's kind of, I want to go back to what you alluded to earlier, local development environments. And we can kind of talk about it through lenses colored by trainers, you know, something both you and I do. Yeah. And this is something, you know, I was telling you before we started recording and anyone who follows uh, DrupalEasy.com knows I've been blogging a bit lately about testing out a new local development environment or new, you know, some options for local development environments that I'm hoping to standardize all of my training on. Um, Up to now, I've been using Aqua Dev Desktop which has you know, served me well, but I'm looking to move to something that is more commonly used by professional Drupal developers. So I've kind of settled on that I'm going to use something Docker-based and I'm really that focusing, yeah, I'm really focusing on either Lando or DDEV or Doxel. And this isn't something that I've just been looking at for the past week or two. I've actually been, I've been using Doxel for well over a year on some client projects. I've been using Lando for a good three, four months on some projects. Um, actually, probably more than that. Yeah, I think we were talking not quite a year ago about if you should use Lando for the the Pantheon Workflows class. Right, yeah. And I kind of dipped my toes into it at the time, but I didn't feel like it was really ready. It didn't, you know, it just wasn't there yet. Um, and then over the past two or three months, I've I've moved some client projects over to uh, DDEV. Um, and along the way, I, I, I bought a Windows machine as well. I bought a Windows laptop because it's important that as a trainer, I, I want to standardize on one tool. And I want that tool to work as much as possible exactly the same, regardless if you're on Mac or Linux or, or Windows. Right. Totally. I don't want to have special instructions if you're on Windows. Or if I do, I want to have a minimum, an absolute minimum of, of special instructions if I'm on Windows. Right. So I'm just curious, and again, I'm just looking for you know anecdotal, you know, uh, you know what you're seeing, David, as far as what are people using, you know, what are agencies using for local development environments? What are their, I mean, are you seeing you know that you know 95% of the people that that you have you know, contact with are on a Mac using you know on a Lando. Um, or are you seeing a bigger mix or, you know, what, what are you seeing? Yeah, I, I think it's, it's, uh, probably in the trainings that we do. So these are people coming to us, asking us to train them how to use Pantheon better as a team. It's probably about 70% Mac, 30% PC, uh, windows. And, uh, of those, some of them have already heard about Lando and are using that. Some of them are 
using something like just native that they've kind of put together uh, internally. Like a WAMP or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. Or, or, you know, the, yeah, the, the local, um, you know, like, like native Mac can, can do, you know, stuff too, that, that I've, I've seen some of them do that. Um, some of them are still using MAMP. Um, it's been a long time since I've used MAMP, but it's, it's still out there. And, you know, once people get in their process, you know, it's reliable and yeah, it, it works. Um, but most people, uh, are really looking to standardize on, uh, on a process for local. And especially when it comes to, um, I, I, we kind of keep talking about this, but you know the the build steps and making sure that everyone's using the same tools. Uh, you know the the process to add a new team member to your team can be a real pain for for people that are setting that up and making sure that everyone's on the same page about how things work. So I'm right there with you, like making sure that whether it's Windows or Mac or you know this kind of project or that kind of project, making sure that the tools are flexible enough that they can keep that workflow or keep the tools um, close at hand. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah, the fact that, you know, regardless of, and, you know, I've been focusing on, on those three, on Lando, DDEV, and Doxel. So the fact that with all three of them, you can set the configuration of the local development environment and commit that as part of the project. Right. And then when you have a new team member come on the project, you basically tell them, we're using this one. Do a Git clone, you know, do their, your Lando start, your Fin start, your DDEV start. And it will use that. It will use the proper configuration, and you'll be you'll be ready to go. Right. Exactly. Yeah, that's the dream. Um, you know, there are, you know, there are some hiccups. Right. There's, you know, one of the big ones that I've been struggling with a bit. And I'm I'm really trying to figure out what the best way to handle it is. I've been kind of playing the role of, I am a new Drupal developer who uses Windows. And I'm, you know, I'm basically requiring Windows 10 at this point. Actually, Windows 10 Pro, to be honest. Right, right, yeah. Uh, yeah, because for the virtualizations, they have this thing called Hyper-V or, or something. But um, as that role, I, you know, what do I want to be able to do? I want to be able to have a local development environment. I want to be able to use Git. I want to be able to use the command line. And I don't want to use like Windows PowerShell or something like that because I want to use the same commands that, you know, everybody else in the class is using. I want to use LS and CD and, and MKDIR and stuff like that. Um, so, you know, that involves, okay, well, now I'm going to have Windows users install, you know, whatever local development environment I settle on as well as a terminal emulator. Um, and then I, where I found the biggest pain point is on Windows installing Composer locally. And the actual act of installing Composer is the easy part. The difficult part is Composer requires PHP. As far as I've been able to tell, there's no easy way to install just PHP on a Windows machine. And by easy way, I'm, you know, I want an installer. I want something that's I can do, like you said, at the beginning of a class. Right. Right. And say, click this, download this, click through the installer, boom, you have PHP 7 or whatever version of PHP installed in a Windows machine. Um, it's not that straightforward. So I'm trying to figure out, okay, well, how do I... Once I have a project up and running, I can run Composer through the container, through the Docker container, and that's fine. But it's a little bit of a chicken and the egg problem because I wanted to be able to do a Composer create project to get the project started. Right. Right. And I have to, and I, and I can't create my containers until I have the code base, but I can't run Composer until I have the containers. So how do I run Composer on a Windows machine? you know, without having the containers. And this is where I'm, this is the kind of the, the thing I'm trying to work through now. 
you know, just to kind of give you some insight into kind of the, the path I've gone is, um, I can't tell you that Doxel actually has what they call a maintenance container, which is a container that's always running, regardless of your project, that you can run Composer through. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, it's kind of like this little, you know, this little maintenance container that's kind of always running and you can do a, you know, you can run a command through that, that you could run composer, create project and they'll create your project in a directory. And then you can do the rest of the configuration for that project. That's, that's great. But I think Doxel is the only one that has that. Although um, I think Lando, there's an issue queue. There's an issue in the queue to, uh, to possibly add that in the future. Um, I think my least common denominator is going to be, I'm going to have to have folks, if I decide on something other than Doxel, which I'm honestly still, that's still up in the air. Um, I'm going to have to have folks install something, and this sounds crazy, but something like WAMP or Acquia Dev Desktop just to get PHP. Because both those things have relatively straightforward installers. They will install PHP. And then when I install Composer, I can point to the PHP that, Aquia Dev Desktop or WAMP installed, hmm. which seems crazy, mm-hmm. right? But that's kind of where you know where things are. Um, I think on a fresh Windows install, and you know, in the real world, I'm willing to bet that if you're taking, you know, a Drupal development class, and you're on Windows, you probably already have WAMP or Dev Desktop or something installed, and we can just leverage that PHP. But I'm trying to figure out what's the, you know, if I'm starting fresh. On a you know on a Windows 10 machine, right? How do what's the path of least resistance to install Composer? And it's oddly very tricky. So when you when you go to I mean I mentioned before you know my my only experience with this is is Lando, but when when you go through on a Windows machine and install Lando, I mean I know it gets Docker and everything kind of set up for you. When you then initiate a project on Lando, um, does it not pull in? composer and like all the things that you need to to run that project or are you saying there's a step before that that you need to do in order to get it running well let's say that you are starting with a fresh project you're not cloning the project from somewhere you're starting fresh and you're going to use the composer template the drupal project composer template so the first step is going to be a composer create project blah 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 all that other stuff But, but that's after you've installed lando and set up the environment no (laughs) Because in my experience, if you try to set up the Lando environment or the Doxel environment or the DDEV environment without the code base, after you, if you try to set up the environments without a code base, some of the prompts will prompt you for things that don't exist yet Hmm. because you don't have the code base. It's, It's a little bit of a chicken and the egg situation. And there's, there's ways around it. But it becomes a little bit tedious, and this tedium is what I'm desperately trying to avoid. I see. I, I, I guess I, I haven't I haven't stepped through it from from that direction before, so I, I can't say that I, I've seen that problem. But I'm I'm surprised that it is a problem. Yeah, on a Mac, it, it's not a problem because you can install Composer relatively easily, and you've got PHP that comes on Mac OS 10, and you know, and and, and you're good to go. I guess I've not come it, come from it from from this like whenever I in the trainings that we do they're they're mostly Pantheon specific so you know you do you know Lando init P- 
Pantheon, and then it, it says, okay, where's the site you want to download? And you, you choose it, or you can provide a, uh, a GitHub repo. And then as part of that process of building out the environment, it grabs the code and it grabs, you know, the, the pieces that it needs to run. But what you're describing though, that's a project that already exists. That's a clone. Right. So what I, and, and that's not an issue on Windows. What's an issue is if you're creating a brand new project and you're using Composer Create Project. I see. Yeah. And, you know, I might be, you know, I'm pretty thick-headed when it comes to this stuff because I want, I, you know, I want the process to be as clean as possible. Absolutely. Yeah. For this one scenario, I'm really struggling to how can I get this particular scenario super clean and equivalent on Windows and Mac. And, you know, I might be a little bit, you know, I, I'm, I might be asking for too much, you know, for this one scenario to work exactly the same on both. But mm-hmm. I think there's a solution out there. Yeah. And I'm just, it, it, you know, I just think it's really, it, it's a really interesting time in the Drupal community. And, you know, I'm sure it's the same in the WordPress community where we have these, these, this, it's almost like a renaissance of local development environment tools. You know, I kind of feel like, I feel about local development environments today the way I felt about kind of front-end tools a few years ago mm-hmm. when they really started evolving and maturing. And I think we're seeing the same thing with local development tools now. And it's, I mean, it's great for, it's great for developers, you know, because there's momentum and, 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 and the tools are only getting better. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it, it's the first time in just about ever, I think, that, that this has even been a possibility, that, that the commands would be the same on Windows versus Mac versus Linux. So anyway, I think I, I, think I ranted there for a little bit. But... <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. Let's keep talking about this, though, because I, I feel like uh, you know, even if it's not a, a, a single command uh, with Lando, I, I feel like there's got to be a way to like, set up your Lando uh, you know, file to pre-install you know to already have composer and php and all that going before you pull in the code base and and actually run composer create and all that stuff but but i i just may not know enough about lando or your specific situation i, I i'm still working on it. i've given myself till the end of the month oh that's this week no i'm sorry the end of march <laughs> okay there you go to to kind of settle on something actually it's probably a little bit sooner than that because the end of is our the next Drupal Career Online, our, our twelve week class, that begins March twenty sixth. Um, I'll mention it now. I, I usually mention it in a couple of minutes, but twelve weeks, three times a week, three half days a week, online class. It's fantastic. I've been doing it for I think six years now. Wow. I think it's our I think it's our twelfth um, semester of doing it. We've got just amazing success stories. Um, one of our graduates from the last semester. Um, is now working for commerce guys nice. and like closing issues in the, in the, in the Drupal commerce issue queue. Yeah. I, I've never heard anyone say that it was not a uh, kind of a significant good part of their learning process of Drupal. You know, like I, I, I've only ever heard people say good things about, about your class. Well, that's great. I, I, I put a lot of time into it and I'm really, you know, the classes are small. I mean, they're, they're never more than, than 10 people. We say that we're going to cap it at, at 12. If it was up to me, and it kind of is, um, you know, I, I think 8 to 10 is, is about the right number because I, I really value kind of the high touch and making sure no one's falling through the cracks. And, you know, when I teach, I have 
you know, it's all online. We use GoToMeeting. So I'm putting students' screens up for everybody else to see, and we're problem-solving that way. It's a very high-touch class. And I think for students that are motivated, it's hard not to learn a lot because we are we are moving. We are learning stuff, and it is – I mean, I learn stuff. Even though I'm the instructor, I, every time I teach, I learn stuff. Teaching is really the best way to learn. Absolutely. And the curriculum is always evolving. Like the big evolution for this next session coming up is going to be the, the change of the local development environment. So I'm going to have to rewrite a bunch of things and, you know, generate some new screencasts. And that's kind of why it less of a goal, more of a deadline right, <laughs> that I set right. for myself for the start of that class. But I'm thinking at some point I'll probably schedule some podcasts specifically about this topic with the, you know the folks with with ddev and doxel and lando and i don't know i i think it's a fascinating you know topic because it's yeah e- i don't, don't want to say it's easy doing a one-off is easy right i can sit down with someone using a windows computer and um or windows operating system and get them up and running in a workflow that works for them with tools that they are accustomed to right, right. i can get them you know but doing it at, at scale and saying, for, if you're on Windows and you're using Windows 10 Pro, this will work for you. And this is the quote unquote best way to go. Yeah. Especially if you don't want to use Windows PowerShell. Yeah. yeah. Because I want, you know, because I want to, I want folks who use Windows to have an equivalent experience. That's my big thing. I want, because there's so many screencasts out there, right? I mean, you guys generate screencasts. There's, there's, um, uh, you know, Drupalize.me and, and, and OS training and, you know, and, and modules unraveled and build a module. I think those are the big ones. I don't want to leave anybody out. But <laughs> there's so many screencasts out there, and, you know, people just publishing their own that are generally recorded on a Mac. And if there's anything on the command line, they're using Linux style command. Right. And I want folks using Windows not to be left out. Um. You know, if someone asks me, if, you know, if they should be using Windows or a Mac, I'll tell them I prefer a Mac. I think it's a, I think the phrase I always use is there's less, less friction on the Mac. Right. I've used a similar phrase. But there's no reason for folks not to be able to be Drupal professionals on Windows. There's no reason at all. Right. And, and some companies require a Windows machine. So you have literally no choice. Right. Or make it extremely difficult to get a Mac. Right. <laughs> All right, so let's let's put a let's put a, a pin on this topic for this pod for, for this episode at least. Although I can feel like I'm all wound up, like I because <laughs> literally like every evening and weekends, this is what I've been doing is I'm like trying to figure all this stuff out and, and playing with all these environments, and I've got to I'm gonna step off my soapbox here. So let's kind of wrap up the interview portion, David. So just for folks who are, I mean. You know, I, I can only imagine a lot of folks that listen to the podcast are Pantheon clients or, or even just have like the free account and have played with Pantheon. But I think one thing that a lot of folks don't know or maybe aren't aware of is that you guys offer a bunch of different types of training. So you want to kind of summarize those for us? Yeah, absolutely. So if you go to pantheon.io slash agencies slash learn dash Pantheon, or actually, if you go to pantheon.io slash learn dash Pantheon, then you'll actually see a, a list of training resources that you can benefit from. Uh, many of them are, yeah, like blog posts and screencasts and things like that. But we also have a uh, Getting Started with Pantheon webinar that we do every other week that anyone can jump into and join. 
We also have a essential developer tools training where it's it's meant to be interactive and, and kind of like what you said about your your Drupal Easy class, uh, Mike. It, we we cap it at twelve because we I also believe that you know around ten or eight is really the point at which you can uh, the, the most you can really have a truly interactive and you know a, a class that involves people and gets them really into it without feeling ignored. So so we cap it at twelve. Uh, it's specifically targeted at agencies and people that are using Pantheon full time, and we go through all the all the basic tools, you know. So Terminus, our command line tool, and our um, automation tool, uh, Quicksilver Cloudhooks, and uh, the going live process. And we, we talk about our architecture and various caching methods, and making sure that your site's ready to go live when you're ready to go. All right, fantastic. Um, I feel like part of this podcast part of this episode felt like an ad for pantheon but that's okay because i use it i, I love it i know you know I, I haven't really heard anyone who doesn't you know see the benefits of, of of you know the product that you guys have so kudos to you well thank you mike i i can't say that i take a whole lot of credit for it i mean even before i worked for pantheon i i used pantheon for the agency for the the nonprofit i started and you know we we used it for training because it, it was the easiest way to spin up a free sandbox and you know invite people to it Exactly. Uh, all right. So let me mention, so I mentioned the Drupal Career Online class is coming up. I also want to mention, I think, David, you have one of these as well. Uh, I'll be teaching a full day workshop at DrupalCon Nashville on Introduction to Drupal 8 Module Development. That's on the Monday of DrupalCon week, which is April 9th. You can register for that at DrupalCon.org. Um, I've taught this class a bunch in the past. I, this is one of my absolute favorite classes to teach. Uh, we do. Um, we actually build three modules, three custom modules. We use, we leverage Drupal Console for the scaffolding. We have this class kind of wired, and um, it's evolved and really matured. And it, it's just a solid, you know, full day of learning the basics, the fundamentals of Drupal eight module development, um, in a way that you can leave and the next day start building, you know, custom modules. You, you, we teach you the foundations and where to go from from there. And uh, so register for that. And David, I think you're giving a training there as well, correct? That's right. Yeah, we're, we're teaching a class called Automated Workflows in Drupal 8 with GitHub, Composer, and CircleCI. And if that sounds familiar, it's because it's the, the process that we were talking about a little bit ago, uh, where, where if, if you are interested in helping your team get set up with building Drupal 8 with Composer, using CircleCI and GitHub as a automated build step, uh, including with that uh, continuous integration, continuous delivery, um, and then automated tests for BHAT and visual regression and, th and things like that. We cover all of those things in a full day. Yep. So, so please do go to the DrupalCon Nashville site and sign up. All right. So next up, uh, David, you were telling me before we started recording, you've got quite the travel schedule here in the next couple of months. You want to tell folks, uh, give them a quick rundown of some of the places you're going to be other than DrupalCon Nashville? Yeah, thank you, Mike. Uh, so, so as part of my job, I I usually travel about once a month, but the spring is always a little bit busier than the rest of the year because it seems like there's a lot of events happening. So, uh, right before DrupalCon Nashville is WebCon, which is a uh, a web conference, as the name implies. It, it's not specific to Drupal or WordPress, but it takes place in Champaign, Illinois, uh, which fortunately for me is in my it, it's where I live, so it's it's easy for me to get to, and I'm I'm speaking there. I'm also going to WordCamp Chicago, uh, which is April 28th. 
after that, I'm going to be going to WordCamp St. Louis, May 12th. And then uh, finally, uh, Texas Camp, May 31st through the 2nd. So uh, there's a, a, a decent mix between WordCamp and Drupal uh, camps. Uh, but in this point, uh, most of these are, are pretty regional or have some sort of meaning to me. So where is Texas Camp this year? I believe it's in Austin again. Okay, does that move around from city to city in Texas, or I'm not sure. I, I feel like this is the only the second year. I, I think in in previous years it was called something else, but I'm I'm not sure about that. All right, I could have been making all that up. That's entirely possible. All right, where can people find you online? Yeah, well, you can find me on Twitter at uh, David Needham, D A V I D N E E D H A M, or you could email me David dot Needham at Pantheon dot io. All right, very good. So now for one of my favorite parts of each episode where we kind of learn a bit more about uh, our guest. So David, name something interesting you do outside of Drupal. Yeah, so I bicycle quite a bit. Uh, a few years ago, we got rid of our car and uh, dedicated ourselves to entirely bicycling. So as uh, a family, I, my wife and our two kids, we we all jump on the, the cargo bike, or I guess the... the my wife and kids jump on the cargo bike, and uh, I jump on my bike, and we, we bike all over town. Wow. So what's the hardest part? I mean, are you are, – I mean, there must be times where you, where you need a car, though. Or are you finding that now? Yeah. If, if we have to go outside of town, uh, then, then certainly, I mean, uh, we could rent a vehicle if we need to, and, and we've done that you know, on occasion. Uh, but we also are, are fortunate that we, we have uh, – my brother and, and his family live in town here, so, so we can – if we really need to like borrow one of their vehicles and, and go somewhere further out. But most of the time it, the, the bike gets us where we need to go. That's pretty, that's pretty wild. What's your favorite movie? Ah, uh, that's a really good question. I, I kind of wish you'd uh, ask me in advance. So I could have, I could have prepped this. Well, sometimes it's better if I don't. <laughs> that's true. Uh, so, so I think the, the movie that I keep coming back to when someone asks me this is, is probably the movie that the, the first movie I ever bought, and it was the first DVD that, that I ever got. Uh, it was uh, Gladiator. Um, oh, it's a great movie. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, uh, I'm really glad that it was, it was actually a good movie that I got. It's beautiful. It's, it's, it's a beautiful movie. It's, you know, obviously violent. But, yeah, that's one of those movies when that comes on, I, you know, I'm, I'm watching it. Yeah. How about your favorite music artist? Uh, this changes quite a bit. I mean, my, my musical tastes uh, vary from, you know, techno dubstep, you know, to uh, classical or because I have two young kids, you know, Disney type type songs, uh, you know. So, I mean, you, you can't really go wrong with like, you know, the Frozen soundtrack or um, I mean, I, I've also been been getting into like 21 Pilots and uh, Dead Moss and, you know, all sorts of. All sorts. Of, it's, it's really hard for me to say, like, one is my absolute favorite. All right. Fair enough. What's the last exotic animal that you either hand fell, hand, every, almost every episode I say hand felled, <laughs> hand fed, or held, or interacted with? This is always the toughest question. Yeah. On the last episode, Heather Rodriguez had an amazing answer. So you've got a lot to live up to here. Oh, man. I, I wouldn't say it's terribly exotic at this point, but I, I used to have a pet hedgehog. And, and hedgehogs are a little interesting and, you know, not something you see every day, at least in, in the States. So are hedgehogs, are they, I, I always imagine they're prickly like a um, like a porcupine. 
Yeah, it, it, they're they're prickly like uh, like a a pineapple. You know, they, okay. they 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 don't hurt when you touch them, but they're you know they're rigid and you know if they if they get upset with you and turn into a little ball, like they they can poke you, but it doesn't doesn't really hurt that much. How long do hedgehogs uh, live? Uh, that's a good question. I, I ended up uh, with with college and business and stuff. I ended up giving mine away before I before that happened. And the most important question: What was your hedgehog's name? Uh, Tweak. Tweak. Yes, named after the uh, the the uh, South Park character Tweak because because Tweak had like the the bright uh, blonde hair that's kind of sticking up and would often kind of do this like Tweak out thing and so my my hedgehog was an albino so it was white you know so bright white quills and would would very frequently become scared at the the slightest anything so would would often turn into a ball. What was your tipping point Drupal moment? Are you asking for like, how did I get into the Drupal community or? Was there a moment or was there an event or was there a thing that occurred when you were first getting into Drupal where you kind of realized, wow, this is really cool. This is something I want to spend or I want to spend you know more time with or I want to develop with or I want to you know, try and get a job with Drupal. Yeah. So, so I first heard about Drupal when I was still in college. I was in a advanced web design course, and my instructor Stephen Merrill, uh, who who's actually um, you know pretty well known in the Drupal community now, for uh, he used to work for Treehouse and Phase Two. Um, Stephen taught me all about Drupal when I was in college. Uh, in this course, he spent the first half of the semester teaching everyone basically how to build our own CMS from scratch. You know, so the database and PHP and kind of connecting the two and, and getting everything set up. And then about halfway through, he said, okay, now that you all know why you should never, ever build your own CMS from scratch, we're going to pick whatever CMS you want. And we're going to spend the rest of the time actually using that CMS to learn how to build a website. And so uh, literally everyone else picked WordPress except me. I picked Drupal, um, partly because I, I could tell by looking at the website that it was it was going to have a bit of a learning curve. But Steve, uh, um, Stephen really kind of pushed me and said, you know, I'll, I'll help you. I'll mentor you through this. Like you'll, you'll figure it out. And uh, at the end of the course or the, the project that we were all working towards, we were, we were all building a fake company's website. Uh, the fake company had the same name for each of our sites. And we were trying to build it out as, as much as we could. And then on final day, uh, instead of like taking a test or anything, we walked through our project, you know, kind of explained all the functionality and what we could do. And uh, Stephen went up and Googled the name of the website, the name of the company, the, the fake company. And he gave out bonus credit to, you know, whomever got the highest search results for, for that. Um, and I'm, I'm very proud to say that, that my, uh, my paramodal site, but paramodal was the name of the, the project, uh, was not only number one, but also number two in the search ranking. Uh, and I had a fully functioning e-commerce store thanks to Ubercart uh, with you know upselling and shipping and all these things, which uh, I'm very proud to say was a great learning experience and a great sort of jumping into uh, and what you can actually do with Drupal. Yeah, that's funny because you had kind of a formal education of something that a lot of folks, including me, had to kind of find out the hard way. Right, right. And I, I think the really important thing here, though, is that I had a mentor. I, I had someone who was willing to spend time with me that would, you know, sit with me when I got stuck on choosing what module or why is this error showing up or how do I do this thing that I can't figure out how to do and the the, the um 
the issue queued isn't telling me the answer. Um, I had someone who would actually sit with me and, and walk me through how to do it properly. And that made all the difference. Yeah, mentorship, that's a whole other podcast episode. So we're going to have to put a button on that one as well. All right. <laughs> so let me uh, let me wrap things up. I also want to mention webenable.com and devpanel.com, longtime sponsors of the Drupal Easy podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, you want to hear more, you know where to go. Just go to iTunes or Google Play or drupaleasy.com slash podcast. And I think that's about it. I think let's wrap this up. I think we've been talking for almost an hour now. So, David, thank you very much. Always great talking to you. Looking forward to seeing you in Nashville. And just keep us, uh, you know, let me know as, as things change at Pantheon. If there's anything new then, that I can mention and share with everybody, I'd love to do it. All right. Thank you very much, Mike. And we'll see everybody on the next episode of the Drupal Easy Podcast. See ya!